0: Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the NOLCast. Bud, look back at a a real exciting uh, victory. Credit to uh, Florida State's team for showing a lot of resilience and coming down in a couple different situations where it might have been easier for them to uh, roll over and quit, but uh, a nice sign for a program that's kind of trying to find its feet and carve out a little bit of its identity for itself. Uh, Look forward to tonight's podcast, and we'll try to – Try to give the good, the bad, and what uh, ended up being a nice little midday victory for Florida State on Saturday. Before we do that, thanks as always to our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, uh, one great partner to us, and uh, very much the uh, title sponsor and and uh, responsible for a lot of the growth that we've been able to go about over the past three years or so. Bud, let's uh, jump into what happened Saturday and try to make our uh, best sense of, of all that we witnessed unfold and kind of where this team sits prior to Miami. Edgar, and Florida State is now three and two, man. Three wins in
1: September. Look at that. I, last year, we did not do our podcast, but FSU's third win until November. Whew, what a year. That was a, that was an interesting year last year for sure with, with, with the hurricane and, and all the stuff going on. So it's an important win. I, I think we'll probably start here for, for the bowl streak. Uh, I'm not one of these people that says, okay, now they're definitely going to a bowl or anything. I, I know we discussed this before the show. Most of the, your projection systems now are, are showing you know, 25 30% chance of, of going to a bowl, and, and I think that's fair. Uh, I, I'm of the mindset that there are three games left that you have almost no shot to win. That was Miami, Notre Dame, and Clemson. and That means you need to win three of your other four, which would be Wake Forest, Boston College, NC State, and Florida. I think going three or four on those, 25 to 30% shot, probably sounds right to me. I saw some good stuff from this game
0: and some bad. Absolutely. So, um,. Bowl streak implications, uh I, I may sit a little n- more north of you. I, I probably put it right around thirty percent, thirty-five percent, somewhere in that area. Um, but we won't really be able to break down what the, the bowl streak really kinda as it changes until Florida State wins a game that it whether otherwise, it wasn't predicted to uh to do so. Uh until then it'll just kinda hover around this mark and we'll continue to uh look at it and use it as a reference point. Um uh, we will Certainly, celebrate what happened on Saturday uh, as much as it's appropriate for a podcast to celebrate things that go on. But uh, I don't know that we want to get too far ahead of ourselves either. uh, Just our own individual opinion, not trying to take veiled shots at people. But if maybe in a year we look back at this and this is some kind of significant turning point, then then we can do that. But uh, Florida State played a a very poor team, a team that uh, missed a lot of opportunities to put the, the game away. Maybe all I'm saying is a real wordy uh way of going about. I wouldn't try to like force a narrative here that this is some kind of dynamic turning point or that uh, this team's set to you know, set to go to places that we didn't other think were otherwise think were possible.
1: And you're definitely the turning point. This is the turning point.
0: And know, if I man. just sounded like some kind of depressing hater, I'm not that's not what I'm trying to sound like at all. I just you've gotta understand the flaws of the team that they played. Uh, some of the real significant missed opportunities that they had and just not not get too far ahead of yourself, while at the same time enjoying a really fun victory, a, a game where it felt like you might have been playing against 12 or 13 at times with some of the way the officiating decisions went. I'm, I'm not trying to say that at all. I just want to let's stay grounded here with exactly uh, who and, and what they did on Saturday. Exactly.
1: The next thing I think we need to talk about tonight is – the, uh, we have a lot of feedback in our inbox uh, email, the nolcast at and on Twitter uh, at nolcast. A lot of feedback about Florida State needs to pass the ball more. When is Willie Tiger going to see this? This needs to be a passing team. Why won't this team pass to set up the run? Why won't this team pass more? And I, I really, it strikes me at how much what the broadcasters say influences what the fans at home believe in fact every time a broadcaster says something that i know not to be true i go out and i'm like oh gosh you're gonna have to deal with this all week because some some blowhard who doesn't watch florida state hardly at all doesn't really pay attention doesn't know what he's you know I'm not saying he's a dumb football person or anything but you know some guy that that just drops in on saturday to call the game maybe meets with with a couple of people for you know half an hour beforehand or whatever, whatever t- kind of time they'll give him and all of a sudden you know, he has to call the game and it's calling it really from an NFL perspective, which is not the same thing as the college game. He, he thinks they need to take more shots downfield and open it up more. Based on the comments in our inbox, I got to tell you, I think fans think that Florida State was running like 60% or 65% of the time or, or, or all of the time, perhaps. But Ingram, I went back in the rewatch and I charted this. What percentage of the time would you guess Florida State called a pass play? 50-50? It's actually a little low. Florida State had 56% pass plays, 44% run plays. Now, if you just look at the running and passing stats, you wouldn't know that because of the fact that it looks like they only threw 27 passes. But what you're missing in there is that there were five additional pass plays that ended up in some sort of quarterback scramble or, or, or quarterback keep or, or, or something like that or, or quarterback leaving the pocket when there's really no reason to do so or the two quote-unquote double reverses that people thought were run plays, they were actually supposed to be pass plays. And if you go back and watch on ESPN3 or or maybe on your DVR at home, you, you can tell that. And, and the reason we know that is because how the offensive lines block. On the one, we actually see Nunu Murray rear back to throw it and decide not to do so, which was a really smart move by him, and I know we'll talk about him in a minute. On the next one, Francois is back there ready to receive the pitch back to him, which is basically like an elongated flea flicker. Those are two pass plays that were called. Francois also had three other scrambles that were called. They actually called 50%, 56% pass plays. Are they trying to stay balanced? Absolutely. Taggart today said he believes the offense is working so well because the defenses are stacking the box to stop the run, doesn't believe the committing to pass on a bigger basis would make the offense work better. Now, what he can't say there, I know we're, we're, we're fond of, of doing this, What do you think
0: the hidden message there is? Perhaps that he's referencing the strengths or weaknesses of his front five there? I think so. I think he's basically like he can't come out and say,
1: guys, we're passing pretty well right now because the the opposing defense thinks we're going to run the ball. Most of our passing success is off play action, especially the, the big hitters down the field. We are not able to pass protect 35, 40 times a game. It's just not going to work. Okay, this idea that you can take the passing numbers now and extrapolate them across 30 or 40% more attempts per game is just not realistic because the defense would adjust what it's doing. You are not going to get such favorable looks on the offensive side of the ball from the defense if you become a, a super passing team. They're going to stop doing that. And to which people might say, okay, we'll run the ball more. I don't think it wouldn't kill him to throw the ball a little more on first down at times when they get certain looks, but I think that was probably the plan somewhat in this game, and yet Francois came out and, and was pretty bad in the first half. I mean, he was like 5 of 12 for 76 yards, I think it was. That's that's not any good. He had a tremendous second half, You know, just one one of the best second halves you'll see an FSU quarterback play, at least throwing the ball. I mean, not the, the run game stuff and, and the multiple miscues he still had Causing multiple plays to just be dead in the water and and making his offensive line and and running backs look worse than they are—that's a separate issue. But uh, you know, I I think they were a little bit gun shy to throw the ball, given how bad he was.
0: You know, how bad the performance was in the first half. But damn, was he good in the second half. People are also just victims to the big play as far as what they remember or what they want more of. We're five games into this this uh, offense this year, and we've had really one dynamic carry uh, all year it's just not hasn't had anything that's had explosive plays and particularly the more that people see 15 get you know get deep on a post route or things like that or nine's kind of slowly working himself involved more and more that's what people kind of yearn for and and i think what you said there as far as extrapolation you're never going to be able to extrapolate oh well well let's let's do this and then turn that into 85% of our offense. It's just not the way it's going to work. Not really the way that this team is built at all. And uh, the idea of putting yourself into more manageable first and second downs, it's not necessarily a beautiful thing, but it's certainly uh, translated to a a much better offense since that seemingly has become uh, what their focus and and what their priority has been over the past couple of games.
1: Absolutely, man. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this offense goes over the rest of the season. I'm not, uh, I'm not super excited to see what it'll do on Saturday. I know we have a preview episode still coming, so I'm not gonna not gonna get into that too much. But man, Francois' numbers really were good in, in in the second half. If that's right, that he started five of twelve, which I'm looking here. Yeah, he definitely had a slow start, and he finished what 16 of 27 overall for 294. I mean so that would mean finishing uh, 11 of uh, 11 of 15 for like 220. That'll work. That's well over well over 10 yards in attempt no interceptions obviously through one which probably should have been picked so you know again there's some luck with, with turnovers but oh we'll,
0: we'll get to that yeah we'll, we'll certainly circle back to that idea
1: well we can go to that now if you want I mean because there's definitely an issue to, to be heard here and, and it's I mean this, this craziness
0: that was going on with, with, with the turnovers in this game man I, I was I was pretty shocked. I will willingly note that I would probably be more entertaining to listen to if I engaged in stuff like this more often and spoke in greater uh, hyperbole. But the the first uh, force fumble, uh, you could recreate that series of actions 30 times, and I don't think you have that ball bounce back into Pass's arms in the manner that it does. I mean, you have to give Pass credit for being an athlete and having the kind of the core strength to go about recovering that ball while he has a uh, linebacker slash safety hanging all over him. But that I'll I'll be as condensed as possible when I say this. The ball, the football, simply does not ever behave in a manner like that. You don't have a ball just pop out of somebody's hands and then the thing popped, what, 48 inches back up into the air? It's not like that kid had to go scoop down there and grab it off his shoestrings or something. That's just one of the more... Bizarre bounces that you're ever going to see an object like that take.
1: Six fumbles in this game. Louisville recovers five of them. They fumbled five times
0: and they got four of them back. The ball that burns forces is a much more traditional kind of rugby scrum that you see happen all the time. But that's a, you look at that and you're like, how the hell did Florida State not come up with possession of that football? It's just a crazy, crazy element of luck. And and the first one in particular I've rewatched that play probably 20 times and I every time I watch it I find something else that I have a just a hard time believing that uh somehow Florida State one didn't turn that into points uh, and two how in the world Louisville was able to retain possession out of that series of events. If you want a and something encouraging
1: here and I'm sure y'all do. You know Florida State is second nationally in forced fumbles. So we know that you have no control over recovering fumbles. You have some control over forcing fumbles, right? That we do think, just based on, on the data, that that is
0: somewhat of a skill. I think you have very little fumble. control over fumbling. I mean, the one play that I talked do you mean about, recovering with Brooks, or, or yeah, recovering. That's what I meant. There are times where you can just simply choose possession rather than trying to advance it. That's the only asterisk that I'd add to that.
1: No, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there there is some technique in doing it, like going down to get it first, trying to scoop it. Which I, I agree with you on that. On the other hand, forcing fumbles, we, we think there is is a little bit more skillful, uh, and Florida State is second nationally in forcing fumbles. Now, look, they haven't actually recovered them, so it really hasn't helped. But it, it, you know, let's let's not let's not mistake this. That that's a good thing. You want to keep forcing fumbles.
0: For sure, so. <laughs> yes, yes, you do choose to continue with that series of activities. So just crazy, absolutely absurd that you saw as many balls hit the ground with that great play by Dontavious Jackson to force a fumble there and uh, Burns was able to scoop it and pick up, what, 12 yards or something like that, maybe 17 yards on the return. But just another day of crazy-ass football luck that didn't didn't really go Florida State's way. He also had a punt drop out of the sky and hit our guy in the back of the head. You could say that you'd like your returner to try to get to that ball. It would be very challenging. The only thing I would add, and, and whether your returner's like making a poison call there or a color or whatever it is that each particular team has as far as uh, trying to notify other people in the field that the ball ball's not a, not a well-hit punt, I would say that the best poison call is somebody on punt return team is... Is looking up and seeing the returner sprinting at them, trying to uh, make an attempt to get under a ball. But that's—I mean—I'm absolutely nitpicking there. And that is—that uh, is, if it's not 100% luck, that is another incident where there's there's very very little that Florida State could have done otherwise. And sure enough, bounces off number 10. How about when uh, somebody's offside and actually makes physical contact
1: yeah. uh, with, with 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 the center <laughs> and the offside's flag is not thrown
0: <laughs> that that is not an issue of luck that is uh that's a whole nother conversation man i love the instant reaction i listen to it obviously all the time as it's a uh, part of the nolcast family of podcast and and bud one thing i will tip my hat to you is that you you do a great job of when you talk about the officials you legitimately know that uh, that that was an issue it's not something that we collectively as a podcast go to and uh, if you listen to a Levin Instant Reaction podcast, you might hear that twice throughout the course of the season. So when I heard you touch on that, it's just uh, mm, couple, seemingly one or two things happens every time Florida State gets involved with that crew that just is kind of hard to explain when you look back at it. And even when you look back at it with kind of the most impartial uh, impartial lens or at least the most impartial lens that a, that a Florida State podcast can put on it. It's
1: amazing. It, it's really Truly
0: remarkable. It, it is, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: very, very, uh, quite remarkable. So that, and then you also had two drives that ended, in my opinion, uh, on throws where Francois delivers pretty accurately to a guy over the middle who's just being totally wrapped up. And that's, that's three of your, only had seven drives in the first half. I mean, to have three of your seven drives end by referee malfeasance is ridiculous. But that was what was happening. And in addition to the fact Louisville kept having all these balls, you know, bounce up into their own arms, you know, I sent a tweet out on, on Sunday morning and I said, it is interesting how the narrative of a game is shaped around the order of, of events, right? Everybody talks about how lucky Florida State was to have Louisville throw that pass when they did. And they were. Let's not pretend that that, that, that was like t- something totally out of their control as far as the pass being thrown. Now, picking it off, great job by Westbrook. But, you know, Bobby Petrino or maybe past deciding to throw that ball, not the best idea. Not, not the best idea at all. But, you know, it happens. Petrino mismanages the game. I, I do think that's an area where, where really Taggart did a much better job than Petrino was game management. But we everybody ignores all the luck that Louisville had to have the lead at that point. Florida State had outplayed Louisville. They outgained them by like 30-something percent per play. You know that, that there's there's no doubt in my mind really who the better team was in that game. Not like overwhelmingly dominant fashion, but fairly clearly. I mean, you outgained somebody by thirty percent per play. That that's that's pretty solid. Anyway, they overcame a lot in this game. They overcame it thanks to uh, thanks to Jander Francois. I also think it, it's time to give Nuni Murray some props for his play in this game.
0: Yeah, and and I would be saying that had the uh, had the final play not played out in the manner that it so uh, or that it did, at least the final uh, offensive play of significance for Florida State. So Nooney makes some great great plays kind of throughout the game. Real heady uh, job of keeping himself in balance at times. Uh, how about the fact we ran a ran an inside uh, screen there? I mean, that was nice to see. Something that we've been waiting for for a wee bit to see that that type of play actually produce positive uh, positive results and on the on the whole I thought Noonie had a real nice day and, and like you mentioned a second ago on that second to last possession uh, on the first series of uh, kind of trickery there all too many times you see a skilled position player get the opportunity to either go about a throwback pass or try to throw down the middle of the field and just kind of half-mindedly wing it up there just for the novelty of the idea Nuni pulled it down, ended up gaining, I don't know, 12, 13 yards out of it. So just some heady play out of him in general. And then obviously the play that everybody's going to remember and uh, is, is a very, very nice moment is is the play that uh, ultimately puts Florida State uh, up with what the uh, third down play there that ends up going for six. Absolutely. And he also had a really nice play on the sideline.
1: You know, the, the, he, he caught a pretty crucial third down ball. Look, we certainly criticized Murray. I think deservedly so on this show for, you know, mental errors, lack of effort, selfishness, all those things. And I don't take any of those criticisms back, but I will give him praise for having an excellent game in this game. You know, somebody asked me on Twitter, hey, how does your opinion of Noonie Murray change? I said, "Uh, my opinion of Noonie Murray as a player hasn't changed at all. I thought he had a great game. I've seen him for four years now. You know, if he changes, if he has a lot more of these and... You know like, like that was a that was a very unselfish move you know you're right that was a very non nuni murray move to not throw that football twice you know what i mean like to, to eat it that was big man so very encouraged by that hopefully you know i i don't want to extrapolate too much from this maybe he's showing some senior leadership or something or or you know becoming more of a leader not not pouting on the sidelines when, when he doesn't get the ball you know not, not uh you know celebrate when dj matthews catches the ball those are good things to see. So definitely want to give him his props because we've criticized him before on this show. And if he has a couple more of these, then I think my opinion of, of him uh, going forward will change.
0: We'll get to a little offensive line talk, Bud, here. Uh, I have an idea as to where this will go, but uh, at times the unit was never uh, never impeccable in its uh, blocking, but certainly seemed to make some real strides in, in pass protection in particular. They did. Uh, I, I thought that, first of all, most of their pass protection on the day
1: was quick game, screens, and play action. If you actually go up, go back and count the number of times Francois is just dropping back, just straight dropbacks, it's not very many. And I love that because I don't think this team is going to be a good dropback passing team. I think off play action, sure, because it gives you the little bit extra time you might need to complete a ball down the field. I think the thing that I was most encouraged about in this game was the lack of whiffs by the offensive line. And Louisville's defensive line is not great, and I get that. But you don't necessarily need to be facing a a talented opposing line in order to whiff. We've definitely seen this line whiff on both good and bad players. So good to see there that they were a little more assignment sound, I thought. I got to tell you all, a lot of the times when they looked real bad, like, the time when Cam Akers comes across the formation and, and gets the ball on the, on the jet sweep, which is actually a read, that's Francois' fault. He's supposed to read the defensive end, he's act, he actually reads the wrong defensive end. He read the one on the other side. You know, stuff like that makes the makes a line look worse than it is. But one thing that we do know that we can take away from this is that this offensive line, they don't get any push. You know, they they, they try to to get a couple yards going straight forward. It is what it is. They're they're not Physically there, really, you know, and and that's that's kind of what they are. I do like that Florida State is committed to the run behind this line because it helps out the line because they're getting consistent more two and three, and sometimes four. But what's really lacking is, is like you mentioned earlier, man, there is no explosive runs, and a lot of that is, is these these guys do not get to the second level really at all. And it wasn't like Louisville's linebackers were all that good. You know, the, the guards Minshew and Arnold are, are very slow. They're just slow-footed. They're not really good pulling, and uh, and that, that's a continued problem. The longest run by a running back was eight yards. That's just that's not going to get it done. I love the, the play action that they're getting. I, I like that they're getting some explosive plays off that, but you need to hit some more home runs on the ground because the ground is a lot more consistent than the air game, and that's just something that's going to have to be monitored.
0: Let's uh, jump straight into a subject, and that is uh, something that I see a lot, whether it be our inbox or mentions or just my personal tech conversations, and that is the level of play what you're getting at a Cam Akers right now. This is not something we've talked about personally, so I'll be interested to see where this goes, but um, I don't think the problem's Cam Akers if you're trying to diagnose what's going on now. Obviously, he's not having nearly the the year that he did last year, and there may be times where it looks like he's – whether he's carrying some kind of persistent injury or what, or it may just be that I personally think he's better operating with a, a kind of a lead blocker or just kind of a one-cut-and-go type system. But it's certainly kind of a topic of conversation amongst the general fan base as far as why the the level of production isn't there, and not necessarily like some of the ridiculous stats that you thought going into the year, but just not at all where we thought we'd stand with Cam Akers uh, five, five uh, games through the season.
1: I think I agree with you there. In this game, I thought he ran harder, which to me there, there were some conspiracy theories. Hey, is Cam healthy? You know how bad is is Cam's ankle because you know he, he busts his ankle a little bit in camp. I don't know exactly how healthy he is, but he did run hard in this game. I don't know that he actually ran smarter. You know what I mean in terms of patience for the hole to develop, making sure he's hitting the right hole. But I didn't see as many egregious ones where I was like, okay, look, that he clearly took the wrong the wrong track on that run so that that, that's something that they continue to monitor going forward but i I do think that he ran hard which is good to see you know and and he did a better job in my opinion of like not bouncing the ball out you know when when it didn't need to be bounced and and that's that's something that, that they definitely need to do this offense you know is is getting three yards on first down a success no not ordinarily but by this offense's standards maybe so because it helps you avoid those those you know kind of death downs the, the second and 10 the
0: third and twelves. so he did a better job in my opinion of, of taking those fourth down pickup i mean that's a, that's a massive play so certainly cam runs hard you get i I don't think there's ever uh efforts ever an issue and it'd just be interesting to see what he what he ends up turning out as far as the rest of the year or how much this offense kind of really grasps his strengths it's uh I don't know that any party's like wrong you're certainly not having a a great year for him but I don't think that uh I certainly don't think he's some kind of overrated talent or something like that Cam when he's right is is a a special ball carrier but it, it just may not be that the fundamental ideas of this offense really pair with with what his strengths are so something we can certainly return to and look at but it is uh it is just something worth observing as we've as we've wrapped up five games of the season so far. Anything else you want to uh, mention on the offensive side of the ball before we transition? Good to have Landon Dickerson back. I think he'll only continue to get
1: better if he can stay healthy, and that's, he was no doubt an upgrade, even though I'm sure he's not 100% yet. No doubt an upgrade over what they had there. It, it, it's night and day. Just look at the guy. The other thing I thought, Acres was better in, in blitz pickup. No sacks allowed on the day, even though Louisville's defensive line is, is not good. That was impressive, and then uh, Tamari and Terry, just another bomb, man. And that's uh, that's not not easy to do, you know, to to catch that, get down there, do it, and he also blocked really well again. I thought the receivers have blocked better in recent weeks after we criticized them. I think everybody with eyeballs probably criticized them after the first few weeks. So that was good to see, uh, and he's blocking
0: blocking his butt off on the on the Nyquan Murray run. Yeah, he's a real headsy play there. I'll also point out Terry gets a. Uh... Lit up pretty good uh, there at one point. Comes doesn't let that impact him. That's kind of the first time we've seen him take a real, a real hit. And also just a real small thing, but loved what he did. Um, he gets on a fourth and three conversion. He gets gets himself in a little bit of a bad situation as far as uh, ball security, and he's just real smart with how he wraps it. He's obviously a really strong guy. As well, and uh, that's that's something that sometimes you see wide receivers lose the ball in that situation. And just kind of liked what uh, what I overall saw from him, and just some small little things about possession of the football and a uh, little bit of headiness there. So uh, on the whole, Terry is is very much kind of rounding into the player that even people with optimistic ideas as to what he could be leaving leaving spring are are starting to see. That uh, that type of game breaker. So it, it's real exciting. He's he's uh, Florida State's best deep ball threat that I can remember in in quite a while. To the defense, to the defense. But first, let's talk a little bit
1: about our our second sponsor of the night for the Table Restaurant Group. That's Madison Social Township and Central, right there in the heart of College Town, in the shadow of Dope Campbell Stadium. And what an awesome trio of restaurants! It's kind of like like the Cowboys trio, except better. Great burgers. Good drinks, great scenery. Just get on down there. Next time you're in Tallahassee, or if you're in Tallahassee, get on that, get on down there today. They have the social agreement, which is great. Two bourbons, two beers, two burgers, order of wings, forty dollars. That's pretty solid. Hard to beat that. Get on down there. Check out Madso,
0: a proud sponsor of the Nolcast for uh, what, four years now, three years? Quite a while. Been with us since, since the uh, first, first episode of the Nolecast, So they've been there since day one and people that we're fortunate to work with. Uh, but effort out of the defense. Uh, maybe not what we would have expected out of, uh, out of an offensive unit that, that certainly had its own woes coming into this game. And a weird effort, too, man. I mean, Juwan Pass early on
1: hits some ridiculous throws. Right, that, that ball down the sideline where he steps up in the pocket and launches—best throw he'll make all year, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some people screenshotting that and and, and talking smack about that safety Cyrus Fagan. What is he supposed to do? Like, go gadget arms? The, the ball is literally thrown almost out of bounds. The only only guy that can catch that is, is the DB. That's it. That's an amazing throw for you know forty five plus yards. He also makes a couple other really nice throws into traffic, and yet. Bobby Petrino, who we talked about in, in the preview show, has always been a master of scheming open guys in the middle of the field. He screws with your safeties and linebackers like no other. And guess what? He did it on Saturday. And Florida State's linebackers are not good players. And a lot of their safeties, except for maybe, you know, obviously Sanford Samuels, are not very good players. When you have Bobby Petrino against a combination like that, guess what's going to happen? Some points. I think when people said, "Hey, why, why do you think Louisville will score in the 20s?" Because we both predicted, I believe that or, or, or close to it. That was our reason. It was like, ah, uh, well, you know, I just think, just got a feeling they will probably screw with their reads pretty hard. The concern is, is this a trend going forward that everybody can exploit? And my thought slash hope is that it probably will not be to this extent right now. Other teams will not be able to exploit it as frequently in terms of getting guys to be as wide open as they were that frequently. But other quarterbacks will probably not miss as many open throws as Juwan Pass did. So you kind of have a catch-22 there.
0: For uh, purposes of full disclosure, I I did not think that Louisville would score as many points, and I honestly thought Florida State would fare better against this unit. I would say, you know, who knows – how this game is, is different if you do get that first turnover I, th- I think you have a team that's uh, really kind of questioning itself going into this game and you did Louisville a lot of favors by letting themselves get confidence and let players perform at a level that you hadn't otherwise seen and also they got the crumb kid involved in a level that they hadn't previously but it's uh, it was a solid performance by them and I'll also say uh, there's a third and ten play where it's 21 to 21 to 7 where I think Louisville has a chance to put Florida State out of the game where uh, they miss that opportunity. There's also the first play after Florida State scores where they get that back out of the uh, backfield. I don't know that that's a touchdown if pass makes that throw, uh, but he certainly underthrows him and the kid ends up dropping what would have been you know a 25- or 30-yard play. Uh, Petrino is a brilliant mind. I uh, despise the individual, but there's just plays in this game. You're absolutely right. He works the middle of the field as well as anybody in football, and he also, if you want to go back and look at the play before Westbrook's interception, Petrino manipulates the defense more with blockers that end up turning into receivers, probably better than any coach I've seen. So uh, he's an offensive genius, and uh, at times that was evident, and uh, at times his, uh, his kind of pieces let him down there. So uh, I, I did not think they'd perform as well as they did. I'll go ahead and own that. As ugly as a performance as you could have seen from the defense the first half, and then a a really solid bounce back as far as what they ended up giving up in the second half.
1: Indeed, I I think there's a couple things going on here. Number one, the corners played pretty well. Like I I thought, Myers and and Samuel's, or excuse me, Myers and Taylor. I thought you got pretty good play out of them. I I was mostly pleased. You didn't see them getting picked on. Most of the damage being done in this game was being done between you know between the hash marks, uh, being done. To the linebackers and to the safeties, and you know that that is a concern going forward, for sure. But it was also encouraging to see Florida State's corners play well. That they didn't really give up a whole much. I thought they were, you know, I thought they were decent in run support as well. So that was encouraging. What did you think about about the defensive line play?
0: I really, you know, we've talked about this. I I really like uh, what you're getting out of sixteen. I also there's a series of plays that you get out of Cooper man good for that kid starting to starting to blossom a little bit uh as far as what we see and being able to stay on the field a a bit more as far as a consecutive series of plays Marvin Wilson's continuing to turn into a uh a really good player and uh is is as good of a defensive player as Florida State has I, I don't want to dog on a kid but I wouldn't haven't been blown away by what you've gotten out of Christmas uh up to this point through the year
1: I think I'm right there with you, you know burns continues to to make a number of good impact plays each game. I love what I'm seeing on Marvin wilson you know when when I could tell that that he's you know got got his breath uh obviously you know still still kind of working his way back into full game shape there, but man, they got a problem at the under defensive end.
0: I questioned Christmas uh or I didn't question him I just not the level of performance I thought you'd get out of him. I don't know what Kando's bringing to the table right now at all, and I, I just, that's a, as far as pieces you inherited, I mean, Kando's a, what, a top 10 recruit nationally, a guy that really started to flash at the end of last year. That, that was one of kind of the gems that you thought you could work around, and through five games, you've gotten, I don't want to say nothing, but very, very little above uh, zero when it comes to any kind of significant contribution made. Yeah, you're right. Not not much uh not much above zero. I mean, how many snaps did he even play? Uh I mean, he's in there in some situational three-man rotation or three-man situations and I don't know if that's an injury, it's just been kind of a bizarre amount of ambiguity that's existed around that kid for a while.
1: You know, in in some of the uh in some of the, like the screenshots that get sent around Twitter of the Pro Football Focus grades and we've obviously been you know, skeptical of, of their college grades for a while. I think their pro grades are pretty solid, but like, even Robert Cooper and Adonis Thomas are listed on the snap count chart. And they only played four snaps and five snaps. I don't see Josh Kando listed even. Like, like he, he had to play extremely, like, limited number of snaps in this thing. And you're right. Like, this is a defense that we thought would inevitably have Kando and uh, Kando making an impact. That's I mean, a five-star, top-ten national caliber recruit, like you said. And, uh, and right now, you're not getting anything of impact from him and that that's probably you know injury related like coming back from the injury but man that's that's concerning because they're gonna need him down the stretch I I May and Robinson are, are not uh, are not as good as, as you need to be
0: there at that position for Florida State so I may's mean, been a, a disappointment as well I really thought with the way he reshaped his body I thought he would uh in some of the flashes that you saw from him on the interior I thought he was in a place to uh to maybe overperform as far as what the general consensus of him was that's just not taking place I thought Robinson started the year pretty well I thought Virginia Tech had some real solid contributions he looked like he was on the verge of maybe uh you know really kind of getting to that next level of play that his physical ability would lead you to believe is there and that's uh just hasn't hasn't come about over the last two or three games so not getting a thing from, from much of anybody that lines up on the other side of the defensive end from 99 right now.
1: Podcast also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is a proud no owned business. Chad gets it done. Shannon, his top loan officer in the state, right there for you. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you get hooked up right with those guys. Or FSUHOMELOANS.COM. It's FSUHOMELOANS.COM or 844-FSU-LOAN. Why? Great rates. Great service and communication throughout the process. No false starts, no illegal formations. They w- they want to keep everything legal, and they want to keep it moving. Let, let's go. Let's up-tempo this loan process, but but communicate well. It looks like a well-oiled machine. No year-one hiccups uh, here with the almost-home guarantee. They guarantee you they'll get you closed fast. Give them a call. We've already had, I think, what, eight or nine listeners now. Get loans to them, plus uh, realtors who also listen have referred to their clients. So if you're a realtor out there. Give those guys a shout, and uh, very much appreciate them proudly supporting the cast. Man, when Marvin Wilson crunched their quarterback, I I, I started watching. He really kind of went downhill after that. And Florida State did hit that kid, Juwan Pass, a lot in this game. I mean, a a whole lot. So I'm kind of looking at it, I'm thinking, I wonder if that whole starting 9 of 12, finishing 15 of 33, had anything to do with with, with how much he was being hit. Because I'm guessing it did.
0: Hard to think that it wouldn't and uh yeah, he takes he takes some hits and there's some uh there are opportunities where a couple guys get to really kind of square him up and, and uh deliver a blow and it would be hard to think that he it wouldn't otherwise impact him. He was also victimized by a drop here or there, but uh yeah, his his level of play fell off throughout the day. That's and this is a small thing, but that stadium I would I would not want to be a wide receiver in that stadium playing at six six thirty. You get some Pretty nasty shadows and kind of uh, half field shadows where the ball comes in and I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling with with my memorances there, but it, it's very rare that you see a place like uh, a place like that have as distinct shadows as it does, kind of down the middle of the field. Oh, dude, no, no doubt. That's probably has something to do with it. To be honest, I, I, I think you're you might be
1: onto something. That we're we're, we're going to go deep state here for sure <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> Oh gosh. It's the shadow defense. Yes. Uh well well played. So I'm trying to think about other things we need to talk about tonight before we wrap. I uh I really liked going for the fourth downs. I thought that just made all the sense in the world, and I was encouraged that that Willie Taggart did that. You know, that, that to me is, is something good. I thought you also had a lot of guys who made, you know, rather smart plays in this game. You know, they, like you had some guys like like the Nooney stuff who looked like they were well coached. You know, Acres hitting the right hole more often you know Francois not panicking for the most part I mean he fled the pocket when it was good blocking one time but but he didn't look as gun shy in this game as he has in previous games maybe that's a little bit better pass blocking but also maybe he got the ball out on time a little better
0: stepped into a couple pockets too which is something we had asked of him and uh the the first uh believe it's the first possession where he hits the Gavin over the middle of the field. That's a that's a pass that he probably doesn't otherwise have a chance to make if he doesn't, you know, step it's nothing great. It's not but maybe stepping forward eighteen inches or something like that, but it creates just the extra half second that he needs, and that's that's something that we had specifically commented on, and that was not the only time that he showed a little bit more pocket awareness.
1: I also really loved how, how the defense just stayed aggressive, man. We do not lack aggressiveness. <laughs> <laughs> God, they blitz a ton. They're not necessarily good at it yet, but I mean they they're like, all right, these linebackers aren't gonna be good in coverage. Let's blitz them. Cool. I'm down with that. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. So that's certainly encouraging. One thing that I'm not really sure I agree with, though, here, and Taggart said this today at his press conference, but he said if the ball is kicked short of the end zone, he wants his returners to return it. And I think this was in response to a question, but so far, and I'm not saying this is the wrong approach, but but I, I I am saying that so far, I don't think this approach has worked correctly. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that Florida State has not averaged a return out past the 25 of balls kicked short of the end zone. Do you think so? I mean I haven't ran the numbers fully on this yet, but I'm I'm pretty darn sure that Florida State is is nowhere close to that and that it would make more sense to just fair catch the ball and take it at the 25 unless you're it's some kind of weird,
0: end of half situation, end of game situation where you really need a kick, you know, return. I'm right there with you. We No, we haven't seen much at all uh, out of the kick return and nothing that makes you think you've got some explosive player there that's just, uh, you know, missed an otherwise massive return because somebody just barely clipped his ankles or something like that. Uh, we we haven't seen much signs that makes you think you're, you're going to see some dynamic play out of the kick return. Now, look, I do get the idea that Willie is probably thinking, okay,
1: with these athletes, we should not have to have to fair catches. We should be able to to catch the ball and, and get up past 25 and have explosive returns. And maybe the also the idea, look, you want to help your offense out, which is not that good right now, by maybe, maybe getting get a you know, kick return, you know, get get some six points on the board in that way. However, you know, I really do think that they're they may be hurting themselves a little bit by by backing up. It may just be too early to tell because the sample set's not that good. You may only have twenty low 20 kick returns on the year and and a lot of those are touchbacks anyways Uh, but just something to monitor going forward i I don't know that i really thought that was the the best move to make
0: moving from kick to punt return real quickly you uh you appreciate that little mini freeze dj matthews put on him on the punt return i think he stole it from the arkansas guy that certainly looked i mean that was a that was nice and not uh nearly as like a production but uh, just just a little half second of freeze and ended up being one of the one of the better returns you've seen all year. I love DJ Matthews and Space Man.
1: That guy's a good player and, and he's only going to get better and having the ball in his hands is is really nice. So they got some pieces that they'll they'll continue to to improve on some things this year. Uh, probably not this weekend most likely, but uh, we'll, we'll have a whole preview show to devote to that. With that, I think we are probably at the end of the Louisville Review show, and uh, FSU sits at three and two, which is a lot better than I think we thought they would be after losing to Syracuse to go one or two on the year. So a two-game winning streak. Not going to try and do the voice from the manager of major Le- major league, but uh, we call that a winning streak. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it. You got anything else tonight? no man i think that's uh it was a it was fun to experience a win like that and good for the team like we said at the beginning we, we're not going to try to frame this as some kind of dynamic shift and this is some kind of dr- dramatic moment in time for the program but uh great to see those kids get a win uh, certainly worked real hard in my opinion we're the better team on saturday and uh We'll look forward to trying to get a couple more Ws throughout the year and see if uh, see if the bulk streak can't be extended. So, uh, Bud, as always, enjoyed doing these. If you feel comfortable giving us a five-star review on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. And uh, any kind of feedback that we can get from you, whether it be email or social media, is always appreciated. And until uh, probably our preview coming out on either Thursday or Friday, uh, this has been the most recent NOLCast. Thank you, as always, for the listen.